what happens when you have a kid and then realize that diet has everything to do with their health and well-being. Improving your diet can be a challenge, but changing the diet of your fussy eater can be torture. Until you hear today's guest. Jennifer Scribner has been working with families affected by autism spectrum disorders. Children on the spectrum and many adults are the fussiest eaters around. In her new book, From Mac and Cheese to Veggies Please, she teaches parents how to navigate the turbulent waters of implementing a nutritious diet for children who refuse to eat anything but white flour and sugar. In today's episode, she'll tell us why children get picky in the first place and her three top strategies that parents can use to turn that around. Coming up next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to nutritionheretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. (laughs) It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Aloha and welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. And today we are talking about a, a topic that I think everybody today can relate to, not just with kids, but with adults. Um, in today's conversation, we're going to focus a bit more on children, um, but know that Picky eating is something that is uh, seemingly on the rise for a variety of, of um, reasons. And I was a picky eater as a kid. Uh, you know, the, my diet, I mean, I was not picky by today's standards. <laughs> I was picky then. Um, but then again, I grew up in the Bronx in the 1970s, uh, where iceberg lettuce was lettuce. Tomatoes were God knows where they came from. Uh, you know, salad dressing came out of a bottle. Uh, it wasn't till I moved to Europe that I began to appreciate different foods because they tasted the way they're supposed to taste. And I could go on a whole rant about organics right now <laughs> because that's, that's actually how I began to eat better food for me, which is that when I ca- came back to the United States, I tried to recreate so many of the dishes that I had in Europe, and they all tasted like crap. And uh, for, for in my case, it was because the food was just so insipid tasting um, here in the States. And when I, when I discovered organics, I was like, wow, I can actually make palachinke or, you know, other things that, that uh, are not, um, you know, that, that were some of the foods that I, 
I grew to love when I was living over overseas. So in any case, uh, today's guest heretic is the author of From Mac and Cheese to Veggies, Please, How to Get Your Kids to Eat New Foods and Picky Eating Forever and Stay Sane in the Process, Jennifer Scribner. And she is also of uh, BodyWisdomNutrition.com. We've had her on the show before. Welcome back to the show. Jennifer. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk with you again. Oh, yeah. I know. We had a nice little chat beforehand. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, in my case, yes, I definitely had, like, I I know that you work a lot with uh, children who have autism um, and, uh, you know, eating disorders that point to a deeper problem. Right. Um, In my case, you know, I definitely had, you know, rashes and and, uh, other you know, health issues. Uh, but I'm not necessarily sure that was 100% where my picky eating came from. I mean, I, I think it played a role for sure. But you know, how do kids get picky in the first place? Like, where does it start? Does it start with the gut? Does it start with the socialization? Well, it can be some of both. And I was a picky kid too, kind of like you were describing. And part of it was that my mom worked and I grew up in an era where processed foods were, they were the modern thing and they were what was considered most nutritious. We've perfected this stuff and we've put it in a box and made it really simple for you. So that was all that I grew up on. And I was picky until I was 30. (laughs) (laughs) I was still eating macaroni and cheese. So the, the title of this book isn't just about today's kids. It's referring to myself as well. That was one of my staple foods. And, and boxed mac and cheese, you're saying. And what? Boxed mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've never made it from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> because because I've, I've seen that, too, where the parents, like, um, when, when uh, my daughter was little, she got invited to this party. And, and the mom told me, oh, yeah, you know, I know that you like to eat healthy. So I'm just letting you know we're having mac and cheese. So it was right after Thanksgiving. I brought my homemade mac and cheese with me. <laughs> for the the part and I put it in a little thermos and as I opened it when she's making you know she's adding her milk to her powder I put it uh I put the lid down and all the kids all the moms are going oh my kids would never touch that that's the good stuff they would never eat it and as the mom is saying that her son grabs the lid and just starts licking it you know (laughs) it was like there was something in there that 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 kid needed so anyway go on (laughs) I was like that too where I didn't like the real macaroni and cheese like if my grandma would make it or something I was like no I want the blue box stuff that my mom makes (laughs) (laughs) and she put you know her love in it it tasted different when I made it (laughs) and I just and I would say I stopped being picky around the time that I started learning to cook as well and similar to Mm. you because I grew up on packaged and processed foods, I didn't have the real flavors. I didn't think I liked most vegetables because I had only had the the boxes of the frozen Brussels sprouts and that kind of stuff or canned. There wasn't a lot of fresh things. It wasn't, you know, lightly prepared or raw. Or, so I didn't have a lot of exposure to that until I was an adult. And so when you're raised like that, it's really hard to outgrow picky eating because you're really set in this mold of processed foods and, and we you know, know that those can push certain buttons in our brains and you're, you're addicted in that respect. But my parents tried, you know, they would make me sit at the table until I had, a you know, a couple lima beans or a couple peas, you know, that was that rule, but there wasn't a real consistency to that either. It's like, they knew I needed to do that, but they didn't know like how to get me out of it. And so sometimes it really is just 
when you are fed those type of foods, processed foods, processed milk from the start, your gut does adapt to that. You especially, you know, the processed foods are sugary, like you're feeding your microbes, you're not feeding yourself nutritiously. And so that changes what you have a craving and a taste for. And that's why picky eaters are highly, highly carb addicted. Yeah, (laughs) it's rare that someone's like, Oh, my kid is so picky, all they eat is vegetables, or they will only eat meat, you know, like it's it's processed foods. (laughs) Although I actually I do know one kid who only eats meat. (laughs) And I've heard of one kid who really, really prefers vegetables. So (laughs) apparently, there's there's an outlier to each of these. (laughs) But and sometimes it comes from, you know, real physiological issues that are going on, there can be distorted sensory processing. And that is a physiological thing where our taste buds are passing information to the brain. But the brain has some toxicity in it. And so it tastes different than it's expected or different than than we know that it tastes. Mm -hmm. And the texture and temperature might actually be um, this, our senses might receive those differently than is typical. So that's something that, you know, sometimes kids will will be picky and will only associate it with a battle of the wills and like, oh, they're just difficult and they're opposing, but there can be these physiological things. So that's one of them, as is the state of the mouth. There can be bacterial imbalances in the mouth. There can be thrush. Sometimes there are foods that feel uncomfortable or stinging or cause sores, and that makes kids not want to eat that. And that tends to occur with things like vegetables, the nut and seed oils, and sometimes fruits because they all have a little detoxification, you know, Mm. as part of them, those antioxidants that we all want so much that help us deal with toxicity in the body. When we have an imbalance, that can actually be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with secretions, like with saliva, like these are all ways that we can eliminate toxins and they can change the, the taste and texture of foods. And then sometimes kids just have actual physical and, you know, challenge muscle structures. They might have a lip tie or a tongue tie issues with chewing that make it easier to eat soft foods and make it difficult to try to have something crunchy or something that's chewier like a meat that can be, you know, distasteful to them because it's so much work. Right, right. You know, what I wonder is how often, because even if a child gets older, for example, you know, they're communicating, we're not talking about uh, a child that's severely autistic, but maybe hyperactive, Mm -hmm. let's say. Um, so, you know, they're communicating, they learn well, they just can't control, you know, certain things. How often do you get the feedback that they experience these things that maybe their parents are just saying, no, they're, you know, they're making it up, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you see where I'm going with this? Uh, that, yeah. You know, and a be- lot of kids don't have mm-hmm. the language to explain things like that. And they will act out with their behavior rather than being able to put that into words. And in particular, if we don't have a lot of language around being in touch with our body Mm -hmm. and in touch with our foods and how these things feel to us, then that there may just not be a word there or an acknowledgement there. And I was certainly that way as well. I was not in my body this whole time that I was a picky eater, even the whole time that I was vegetarian and I was following kind of a dietary dogma versus what really worked for my body because I didn't know my body. Right, right. Well, that's just it is that, you know, I kind of wonder sometimes if you know, is it a matter of they don't have the language or is it that, they, that because that's their normal, they mm. don't know that it's yeah. that that's what's, you know what I mean? That's what's wrong. Yes. 
Right. That's an excellent point as well, because when it's a chronic feeling, it's not noticed. It becomes just part of the norm or we think it's our personality or something of that nature. Right. Not that it is an, you know, an animale for us. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know, who in particular do you see as the person who can most benefit from this book? Who did you write it for? I think the 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 people who most benefit are moms that are trying to implement some type of a healing diet, particularly mm-hmm. if it's dramatically different. And I meet a lot of people who they've heard about some type of diet or food plan that's in their hearts that they know they want to try and they just can't bring themselves to do it because they're afraid their kids will starve to death. (laughs) Or sometimes it's parents who their doctor has recommended something and they still are just on the fence about it because that's, I've worked with healing diets. I've worked with kids who have more severe picky eating primarily. And that's where these methods came about. Now, if your kid isn't in that state, then it's going to be easier for you to implement a lot of these things Mm -hmm. because they will be more open and accepting. But for kids that are on the autism spectrum or have sensory processing issues, there are very concrete steps that you can take that can dramatically change them from eating that, you know, the the standard five foods that we talk about in that community where they're hyper picky and actually get them eating a variety and accepting a variety of things in within a couple of weeks, depending on which method you go with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so then um, what does it take for a parent to become successful with this type of a plan? Are there particular tools or is it more just the attitude? The mindset is key. That has been the most crucial piece that I've seen in working with people and really determining what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, kind of making that plan, getting yourself prepared, getting the emotional support, making sure that your partner or anyone else in the household is on board and that everyone is on the same page is really important because if there's, you know, one parent or another household member who takes pity on the kid or feels like maybe they could have, you know, a different treat now and then and it isn't that big a deal and there's any disconnect between the parents our kids can sense that and they will they will play upon that (laughs) right and and that makes things longer and drawn out so I feel it's most important to kind of choose your method make your plan get your mindset right and then choose your start date and then go for it because if you give it a half attempt or you're like, oh, I want to start this tomorrow, but you're not really psychologically prepared for the fight your kid's going to put up, for example, Mm -hmm. and you give in after a couple of days, that next time that you want to try, your kids are going to know, hey, we won that battle. I just need to like tantrum a little bit harder, you know, right, right. (laughs) And let's see if I can, if I can do that for three days, then they'll give up. (laughs) Right, right, right. So it becomes more, more difficult as we try you know, not that it's not worth trialing it again, but I prefer that people set themselves up to do it once, kind of rip that Band-Aid off. And, yes. and it is tough for the first couple of weeks when things change, but it's such a small period of time compared to the rest of childhood mm-hmm. and the peace that that can bring. And, and the ease of particularly for those parents who are making different meals for different kids or for different people in the household. Right, right. So, you know, you, you brought up something really important, and that is being on page with your partner, for example. Mm-hmm. And that led me to think about other adults in their life and other children, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you have a child who's in school. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to illustrate, uh, some years ago, uh, I was doing an elimination on my older girl just to see if she was having a reaction to something. And, uh, she, you know, we were, I think we were doing it for like two weeks. And in the second week, uh, for whatever reason, she, we were carpooling with someone and that person, you know, contacted me. She's like, oh, I forgot, you know, Tiffany has a, a birthday party to attend. I can bring your girls to it. No problem. Whatever. And I was like, okay. And, you know, of course, I'm not thinking like birthday party going to have a bunch of crap. But it ended up being this this not very good pizza place or place that served pizza, I should say. And this mom was trying to force my child to eat the pizza. My daughter's like, no, I'm fine. You know, and she's like, come on, you can have a bite. I won't tell your mom, you know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. You know, what, what do we do when we're dealing with, and, and I see teachers doing exactly the same things. And uh, more often than not, they are the parents and teachers who are way you know, basically they need to do their own work, you know, like they, you look at them and very clearly you see like, yeah, you, you know, need to, whether it's, you know, lose weight or clear up your acne or whatever. And you're thinking mm-hmm. to my, yourself like, you know, how dare you try to derail what my child is, is doing? You know, my child's not starving. You know, she's got yeah. her own food. Um, you know, you know, how do we deal with that? When they're when they're getting these other messages from other adults or children, for that matter, when they're away from yeah, school. that's something that every family that cares about health and wellness has to navigate in some way, shape, or form. So that is really common. And the birthday party thing is something I had recently written a blog article specifically about too, right? <laughs> because that question comes up a lot. So being confident in your decision and having you know your people on board is most important because. Others will also sense if you feel insecure or embarrassed about these choices. So there's something that happens in your own kind of energy when you're presenting these Mm, things to others. That's really crucial. And that's something that I noticed a big shift in the people around me when I really took ownership of this and didn't feel bad about it anymore. So that's one tip. The other thing is to really have discussions, you know, in a polite way and just say, hey, this is what we're doing. I hope you're on board and suggesting to people that this is a trial and you want to see how it goes for 30 days or whatever period of time. Most people are open minded to something like that. Mm -hmm. It's when they feel like everything is changing forever that they get fearful isn't and, that interesting that that they are fearful for you? <laughs> you know, it's like, and really, what it is is they fear that the, the spotlight is being shined back on them, shown back on them. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Is people take our decisions very personally because it does make them examine themselves. And for some people, like Grandma's Christmas cookies or something, it can be, oh. Your, you know, what's wrong with the things we've always done? What's wrong with our family traditions, our rituals? It can seem like a rejection. So it really needs to be framed to people in a way that is accepting of them and say, hey, this is what we're doing for us. This is what we think is best. This is why whatever you feel is appropriate to share. But hey, what you're doing is totally cool with you. No judgment on your kids eating the pizza and the candy and everything. And just trying to find that place of mutual respect. But it does cause a lot of people to you know, take things personal and think that it's about them when really it's, it's about you and your family. Right, right, right. So when, when you um, work with children or, you know, parents start to change these diets, uh, the fear is that it's just going to be this long drawn out struggle. Uh, In reality, what would you say is the typical uh, 
amount of time before your child, you know, you mentioned people being afraid that their kid would not, uh, would starve to death, right? <laughs> so, you know, right. where they would actually just say, hey, mom, can I have, you know, a plate of eggs or whatever it is that they normally would never touch, you know, some bone broth? Or- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's, it kind of depends on the method. So I have a few different methods in my book. One is doing the applied behavioral analysis or ABA method that mm-hmm. is commonly used with autism and related conditions. So if that's, that can be one method and that can take a while depending on where you're starting from, but it is very methodical mm-hmm. um, with the reward system. For people who are backing into eating a better diet or a specific diet, then you're just working one change in at a time. Again, that can take a while, but it tends to be simpler because you you can start with the easier wins and you can kind of swap things out. Right. So like you what finish I, off, you finish off the box of mac and cheese, you know, you replace that with something, you don't go out and buy another one, basically. Right. Yeah. Or we're, you know, sneaking some vegetables into this and we're adding, we're doing something additive before we're really taking anything away and we're kind of squeezing things out over time. Mm-hmm. And the, what, the strategy that I've most commonly used, partly because it needs the most support and it's the quickest with the, the clients that I've worked with, is to just do the cold turkey method. And that is, this is the day where we're eating the new plan and all the rest of the food is gone, period. Right. <laughs> it's the most intensive for everybody involved, but the longest that takes is two weeks. Right. And really, it's the first three to five, you know, I've had it go as long as almost 10 days where kids will fast, they will refuse to eat. There is that where they're like, you know, I don't want to do this. And you have to just be strong in your resolve and say, you know, this isn't an emotional thing for me, you get as emotional as you want, but these are your eating choices. And I'm going to keep offering you these things again and again, keep you hydrated. No one has starved to death. (laughs) (laughs) They kind of go through this arc of being really upset and angry, running out of energy, being zombie-like, laying on the couch, being very sad, and you feel very sorry (laughs) for them. And you want to give them a cookie. (laughs) Yeah, you feel really guilty (laughs) to the point where they're like, okay, well, I don't. I'm not going to starve to death because humans do not choose that (laughs) readily, at least. (laughs) And I will try a bite of this thing. If that's all that's coming and I know that you're serious about this now, then okay, I'll have a bite of it. And sometimes it needs to not be offered anymore. Sometimes they'll grab that bite off of the plate that other people are eating happily Mm. and kind of, you know, like, oh, well, you you do you, but we're going to get sit over here and eat this dinner and and that becomes a curiosity. So it's a little different for everybody, but generally it's within a couple of weeks that you see a change with kids that are, you know, less picky. I've had moms tell me, oh, I tried something new tonight that they didn't like before with one of these strategies and they ate it and were like, they liked it like right away. (laughs) So there can be that kind of surprise too. And, and part of that arc is often, especially with the cold turkey method is they'll eat it grudgingly. They'll take it in this nourishment and then it kind of builds upon them. And then it may be a month or two before they're like, Hey, I want broccoli. I want eggs. I want meat, but it, you get there, you know, they're getting that nourishment in the meantime, they're not fighting about it anymore, but they're not necessarily loving it. They just know that's the way it is. So it can take a while before they're asking for it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've heard from so many people. I never thought my kid would ask for this type of food. Right. <laughs> I can't believe they're eating that. And it's funny, because that's, that's the place that most people start or, you know, have in 
in fear from that they don't want to start these plans is because they can't imagine that their kid would ever eat vegetables or meat or whatever it is that they're interested in bringing in to round out the diet. Right, right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that too, because um, uh, this past year I took over the school uh, cooking class uh, because uh, what was being offered for the cooking class was mostly pancakes. You know, it was just, <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. you know, and I have nothing against pancakes, uh, but, uh, you know, it was more the Pinterest uh, kind of, you know, craftsy <laughs> cooking yes. uh, versus, um, versus you know, let's make some food with some local stuff because, you know, our farmers here grow some phenomenal things. And uh, one of the compliments that I had was, because I had to stop doing it a few weeks before the school year ended uh, because it was taking up a lot of my time, you know, and I don't think the school really <laughs> understood that I was putting in a, a boatload of time just to teach this two-hour class, um, you know, talking to farmers you know gathering things seeing you know what was in season things like that I was like really I, I take things very seriously <laughs> and so uh, but uh, one of the compliments I had was one of the moms said to me you know hey she sent me a text we were talking about something she goes you know by the way my son he really misses your cooking class because mm-hmm. he would he would tell me every, every every Friday they would have a half they have a half day and so I would I would teach the class afterwards and he would tell his mom don't pack me lunch I got cooking class today <laughs> <laughs> and you know we were doing um you know we did some craftsy things but we did things like for example I showed them how to make marshmallows from scratch um using honey and, uh-huh. uh, you know, we did things, we did a few things like that. And then we took some, you know, some Hawaiian favorites. Like one of the things they have is, uh, uh called a musubi, which is, uh, usually spam with rice. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's like a, like yeah. sushi roll, like, but like sushi. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we did was we made teriyaki sauce from scratch and, mm-hmm. and, and we, um, somebody had donated beef bones from which I made beef broth. And then I scraped all the meat off the bones and mixed it with the teriyaki sauce. And then I let them make their own musubis. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just to show them, like, teriyaki sauce doesn't just happen, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's got these ingredients, you know, just trying to break down things for them in, a, in that way. Um, and then we did uh, a day where we had, like, lots of kale and chard. So I showed them how we sauteed up the chard with some uh, mac nuts and raisins. Mm. And... Um, I want to come to your cream yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, then, fun. and then we did like an omelet with the, with the kale. Uh, and, you know, we just so every week I've just showed them how, you know, just different things that they can do. And then, and then also how to stretch food. So it was a little bit, mm. you know, of an economic thing too. Right. So like with the bone broth, we did um, a pumpkin soup. And then we also did a pumpkin pie that day because it was just around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just really breaking it down for them. And yeah, you know, these kids, they, they, you know, for the most part, I think the only, there was like one kid who just turned her nose up at the kale. Uh, but other than that, you know, it was, you know, the kids were eating food that they just never got introduced to before. And, and that's such a valuable strategy. And that's something that I talk about in the book as well is getting kids involved with food yes. because when kids learn how to make it when they choose something from the market when they plant something and help cultivate it they're so much more likely to eat something that they have that personal connection to so in you know a cooking class that's life skills that 
everybody needs and the healthiest you're ever going to be is being able to cook for yourself, regardless of what your dietary choices are. You're always going to be healthier that way. But that engages kids. And that's something that's missing a lot. And that's something I didn't know about either. And you don't get very much enjoyment from opening up a back a box of macaroni and putting it in boiling water or popping a hot dog in the microwave. Right. Or like just using a can that's opener, right? Not a sense of accomplishment or engagement with food. And and I think that was why I started liking food when I started getting into more the science of cooking and how to, you know, prepare things that turned out well because it it made it more creative and fun for me too. Yeah, absolutely. And excellent strategy. I think, I think that's something that is often missing in the conversation about children. I mean, I I think we do talk about getting kids in the kitchen, but all too often it's about making the chocolate chip cookies. Uh, right. And, you know, and the cake. That was me as and, a kid. Right. Exactly. I, think I was we the all, baker. Oh, we you all. Know, yep, sugar we addict, all. baker. Those things <laughs> go hand in hand. <laughs> I still make a mean apple pie. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, actually, I was probably more into like the fruit pies and the cheesecakes, like the, the more yeah. meal like desserts, you know, versus just like chocolate cake that I've always found really boring. Um, well, and I think that kind of comes back to adults also being picky and not knowing how to cook and not knowing these pleasures within food and the preparation of it and, you know, and using their senses that way. And so it's hard to bring this engagement to your kids if you haven't experienced it yourself. And so that's something that people can take on as a family as well and get a little bit curious about and experimental with that can be a fun family activity. Right. And, and there's the, the respect for the food as well. You know, they're, you're less, mm-hmm. I think they're less apt to waste it when they mm-hmm. know how much work went into it. Yes. Like, like, and really? that's another thing I find people that don't eat leftovers always seem to be people who don't cook. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it went, it went bad. It's like, wait a minute. What do you mean it went bad after three days? It's been sitting in the store for six months. Like, <laughs> and now, now it's been in your fridge. Now that you brought it home, it's bad. <laughs> so that's, yeah, it's, it's an, it's, uh, an uphill battle sometimes trying to explain this yeah. to people. Well, um, and I've also run into parents who, this is kind of unexpected as I've, you know, talked to different groups about the book where people have said, you know, growing up for me, the dinner time was really uncomfortable. There was a lot of fighting or, mm. you know, a lot of, a lot of discomfort and like, you know, conversations that I didn't like or stuff going on in the home that made them not want to eat at a table and made them not want to cook for those kind of reasons. So I, that's another area that's been put on my radar to to help people examine and to really think about what was the the dinner time culture in your family and when the way you were raised and is that carrying over into what you're doing with your kids now and is that you know is there something you need to rewrite for yourself so that you're not you know thinking that you're replicating that in your own family or just avoiding the whole situation of cooking because there was you know unpleasantness Right. right right um yeah you just reminded me of the tv table I forgot all oh, about those yeah. darn things. Remember that? <laughs> do people, of course I do. Yeah. And um, like, <laughs> that's, I would eat, you know, pot pies with my dad on those. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And I mean, just talk about mindless eating. Yeah. You know, and, and um, we, you and I touched on this before we started, uh, which is what I always tell parents when they tell me, you know, they had a baby. I'm like, look, if you want that kid to eat, stay away from the Cheerios. Just back mm-hmm. up. <laughs> Don't give them Cheerios because every picky child I see 
is just reaching for the darn Cheerios. And they're like one of the worst tasting cereals ever. They are a commonly recommended snack by, you know, doctors and other people in the mainstream. Oh, this is a healthy whole grain snack that you can carry with you everywhere and give the kids whenever. Yeah. So that's something I see a lot of while that and um, the goldfish crackers, yes. you know, what those things we consider finger foods, kid foods, well, kids are human. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they need to eat actual foods. Right. And that, that's a, that's another can of worms is that <laughs> children somehow like, and I'll hear actual doctors, like people with degrees that I'm supposed to respect to say this, that children have the children, you know, they just naturally gravitate towards sugar and that's what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, back in caveman days, they didn't know what was uh, poisonous. So kids just naturally adapted to love sugar. No, they didn't. What the hell kind of <laughs> comment is that? I'm like, seriously. There are biological reasons for our, why we all tend to have some type of preference for that. But the food manufacturers and chemists know that. And they, you know, combine these things together and process foods to push those buttons all the time. And that's why certain chips, you can't eat just one or, right. you know, like that's <laughs> because they're telling not you something that happens with natural foods. You know, I here it's strawberry season and I can eat a lot of strawberries, but there's a point where I'm like, I'm good on strawberries and yeah. I'm not going to eat them anymore. Right. <laughs> that wasn't always the case for me with, you know, gobstoppers or something. Yeah, I was really into Willy Wonka candies. That was my thing. <laughs> And I could eat those constantly. <laughs> but, but, you know, there, I do think that there's, a, there's an element of socialization, too, though, because mm-hmm. I, I noticed that all children actually more so, maybe I'm pushing that a little bit, but I do see all, I, I see children love sour. And mm-hmm. I, have, I often see young children eating a lemon at a restaurant. Yeah. And I also often see parents say, don't eat that, that's sour. <laughs> <laughs> or spicy food. Or spicy, or, yeah. Yeah, I you see know? a lot of parents discourage that as well. And it's like, well, let's see how they feel about it. <laughs> right, well, that's a, that's a good point, because I craved spicy food during my first pregnancy. I mean, mm-hmm. like, ridiculous. And I go to this this Thai restaurant every weekend, because my husband was remodeling re, um, the kitchen at the time, and I'd, every weekend I go to the Thai restaurant, I'm like, look, make it as spicy as you can. And every time I get it like low to medium and I'm like, no, 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 you don't see like, uh, you got like five stars here. I want five. Right. And then, and then finally, like the last time I went there, I was like, okay, I, I just walked in there and I said, make it like you make it like I'm Thai. Just pretend I'm Thai and make yeah. it the way you would eat it. And that's when I yeah. got it. But where I'm going with this is that later on, my daughter, she's like, she's pre-verbal. So she could, she's probably about 11 months old and I'm sitting in dinner and you know she has her little i would puree her own soup with a little you know vegetables with bone broth and so she's having that but actually she didn't want it that night because i had curried cauliflower and i'm like kid this is really <laughs> hot you don't want it and she's like and she's got mm, mm, she's pointing it mm. and so finally i said okay i'm gonna fix her wagon here right <laughs> stick it in front of her she puts it in, she puts it in her mouth and she goes more <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, well, your digestive system is a little bit immature for this, but yeah. I'll let you have one more, you know, but, but, you know, just to show that children ha- can't have this appreciation for a wide range of flavors, but we've pigeonholed them and we've told them that this is all you are allowed to like. 
And that's the difference between, you know, raising your child on whole foods and providing that type of thing from the start versus raising your child on processed foods, because it is higher sugar content, it is higher carbohydrate to have processed foods. And that develops that sweet palate Mm -hmm. much more precisely. (laughs) And you are less open to those other flavors. Because I know many parents as well who've raised their kids with, you know, variety of whole foods, and they will suck on a lemon, we will go to sushi, and they will only eat the fish, they don't want the rice. And and some of it is just phases as well that kids are testing out and, you know, activating different taste buds and trying new things and being a little experimental, especially when they're, you know, you know, toddler two, three years old, there can be a lot of experimentation when they have an open palate like that and are and are offered a variety of whole foods. Right. And what's interesting to note too is that they don't recognize what other kids think of as food to yeah. be food. So yeah, you know, might as well be matchbox cars. You know, it's like <laughs> like they're they're just fluorescent colors, you know, like fruit loops and all that stuff. They're just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> why why are you putting that in your mouth? You know, like birthday party, cake time, and you know, my kids off playing with bubbles. Like yeah. it doesn't mean anything. Well, and know? there's so many people and I will say grandparents I've seen this and they want to be the first person to give your kid sugar they oh, want God. to see the look on their face oh, you know yes I've and heard like, I've literally heard grandparents that say that yeah or they want it let's not start that <laughs> before yeah, they are socially aware and actually interested and in, right. in feeling something about it there's there's no need to do that with you know a baby right oh <laughs> you yeah you don't need and, to give baby the first M&M you know and, and I mean that's 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 very tricky too because so well I mean not necessarily here in Hawaii because we have very young grandparents as people keep asking me if my my daughter's grandmother um, <laughs> 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 um but uh yeah you know I think a, a lot for a lot of grandparents back in the day it's like an orange was a big deal, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, it was oh. for my grandparents. They yeah. got it for Christmas and they're shocking. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so for them, they're, they're not getting it. Just like a lot of my European friends don't get that. Like organics isn't just a gimmick. It's like something that we need to hold on to, you know, and, and because in their countries, mm-hmm. they don't have the problems with, you say, digesting gluten because it's not sprayed with glyphosate uh, or, right. you know, whatever other, you know, health issues that we experience. A lot of people in Europe, it's for some of them, it is just starting to dawn on them. And particularly when they move to the States, because mm-hmm. similar, similar to what I experienced, they can't recreate their favorite dishes unless they buy yeah. organic. Um, you know, they just don't taste right when they're, they're made from conventional, uh, foods. So yeah, there's, you know, it's, um, there's just, there's so many little factors, I guess, is what I'm trying to say that, that go along with this. Yeah. And there's so many ways that, that people can take small steps to improve this as well with their kids and improve their kids' nutrition. It doesn't always have to be a big cold turkey thing, but it can be, what are we going to work in that's more quality or, you know, what are we going to swap out? How are we going to get kids engaged in something that that orients them more towards what we grow in the garden versus the pastry counter? Right. That concludes part one of our interview with Jennifer Scribner. Come back next week when Jennifer is put to the test when we present her with real-life examples of some of the pickiest eaters we've known. That's next week on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. 
Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. (laughs) 